Hello and welcome to another episode of the Menswear Style Podcast with me, your host, Pete Rucker. This week we're going to be having a nostalgic look at the tailoring of the Beatles. We'll be speaking to Walter Smith from Craft Tailors, the very first Beatles tailor pre-Dougie Millings. Walter tells us some fantastic first-hand stories about the tailoring session and how the young Fab Four had sweaty feet that left a smell lingering here, there and everywhere. To get the trousers on, they had to remove their boots and of course... Being young fellows and sweating in clubs, um, their feet stank to high heaven. <laughs> in fact, after they left the premises, I had to spray the shop. That interview up first. We're also going to be talking to Paul DeNoya, author of the Paul McCartney biography, My Conversations with Paul McCartney. Paul gives us the juicy inside track on the thinking process behind some of the Beatles' notorious and dramatic costumes. They dressed up in, as kind of psychedelic uh, Edwardian band men, you know. That was the Sergeant Pepper conceit, really, which, of course, looked uh, looked brilliant. All to come, but first, before we crack on, a little bit of housekeeping. If you're not there already, do head over to the Menswear Style site at www.menswearstyle.co.uk. That's where you'll find all the show notes, blogs and competitions, etc. Make sure you're following us on the social at Menswear Style and you've downloaded the Menswear Style app from the App Store where you'll get all the notifications when we upload blogs, etc. Lastly, but not leastly, subscribe in iTunes by punching in Menswear Style into the iTunes Store. Leave us a review. Let us know what you think of the show. And if you want to get in touch, then drop me a line at peter at menswearstyle.co.uk. Okay. Here is that interview with Walter Smith from Craft Tailoring. Welcome to the podcast, Walter Smith from Craft Tailoring up in Liverpool. Walter, if you wouldn't mind telling us a couple of stories, please, and what your memories were from that infamous tailoring session with the Beatles. Yes, it's a piece of history, really. It was March 1962. Brian Epstein had been a long-standing customer, and anyone that knows anything about Brian Epstein, if you look at photographs of him, you'll see that he's always well-dressed, very fastidious uh, with his clothes, Brian Epstein was. Um, and he always used to come in to see me at, um, on a Wednesday because he had three record shops in Liverpool called NEMS. His family business, uh, his parents ran uh, a furniture store that was called North End Music Stores. So he made it his record shops into, they were called NEMS, and he had three of them in the Liverpool city. Um, so he came in on this particular Wednesday, and uh, he said, Walter, next week I'm bringing you four lads in, musicians. I'm going to m- manage them. And I said, uh, who are they, Mr. Epstein? And he said, they're called the Beatles. And I thought, what a stupid name that is for a music <laughs> group. <laughs> because I just associated it with the insect. Yeah. Uh, anyway, he duly brought them in, and uh, I s- sorted out cloths for them, and I alighted on um, a mix of silk and wool, sort of electric blue uh, slub silk and wool uh, fabric, which was very attractive. And the price of it was 28 guineas. We used to talk guineas in those days. And Brian said to me, a bit much for them, you know, they're only just starting out. 
So um, we gave them a three guinea discount. We made it 25 guineas. And uh, I style the suits for them, measure them all up. And of course, it wasn't um, Ringo Starr, the drummer, in those days. It was Pete Best. Mm-hmm. That was the uh, who I measured. I never, I never met uh, Ringo Starr. And um, the suits had to be ready in two weeks because they were appearing on, I think it was Granada TV in a fortnight. I think it was a Friday evening show. And uh, so they were coming in the following uh, Wednesday for fittings, uh, which they did. And, of course, the, the suits were slightly Italian style. They were drop shoulders, short boxy jackets, very tight trousers, and, of course, the, the famous winkle picker boots. And um, to get the trousers on, they, they had to remove their boots. And, of course, being young fellows and sweating in clubs, um, their feet stank to high heaven. <laughs> in fact, after they left the premises, <laughs> I had to spray the shop. But while they were waiting to be fitted, they were very uh, lively uh, young men. And their language was choice. Now, my father was in the building trade, and but he abhorred bad language, and that was the way I was brought up. So I was, I'm the same, and I'm the same today. It was the same when I was in the army. I cannot stand foul language. And uh, so I can remember saying to the members of the Beatles, I wonder if I can ask you to moderate your language and remind you you're in a tailor's shop because we had a very high-class uh, clientele, you know. Yeah, <laughs> so yeah. People effing and blinding uh, sounded bad, very bad to me. Anyway, we, we made the suits and they uh, duly appeared on TV. Uh, Brian Epstein said, oh, you're going to get lots of business out of them. But um, we didn't actually see them again, although Paul McCartney came in... Um, a couple of times for trousers. We made him some trousers. And Paul's father came in because it, Paul's father lived in uh, Heswell, Baskerville Road, and we did um, a suit for Paul's father. And do you, do you remember the scaffold, do you? You'll have to enlighten me, Walter. You, do ever, you, you know, it's, it's funny. You, you know, I mean, I forget my age. I'm 82, you know. <laughs> the scaffold used to appear on a show on television every Saturday night called That Was The Week That Was. It was, um, you, you probably heard of it, they used to take a rise out of politicians and so, so on, and The Scaffold were quite a famous group. Uh, Paul McCartney wrote a couple of um, numbers for them. Uh, I don't know if you ever, if you ever know them. It's, one is called The Aintree Iron, which is a railway bridge uh, near where the Grand National is run in Liverpool. And the other one was Lily the Pink. <clears throat> and the scaffold recorded those, and they were both hit records. And um, Paul's brother, Mike, was a member of the scaffold. You've heard of Roger McGough, the poet, have you? Yeah, he was part of the Mersey Sound, wasn't he? Yes, well, Roger McGough was a member. And, of course, the founder of the group was um, John Gorman, now, John Gorman is a very old friend of mine. I've dealt with John for, well, since 1949. <clears throat> and he was the founder of the group. He was always uh, something of a, an entertainer, he, he, long before he became a professional entertainer. And he uh, founded The Scaffold. 
And as I say, Paul McCartney's brother was um, a member. But Mike didn't like to trade on the family name. So instead of calling himself Mike McCartney, he called himself Mike McGear. And uh, so that was the, the sort of story. Anyway, j j just to follow on with that, <clears throat> I spoke to the girls in the workroom and I said, I said, have you ever heard of this group that have been in called the Beatles? And they said, oh, yes, they're fab. They play at the Cavern in Liverpool. And I said, they'll never get anywhere with a name like that, <laughs> which teaches you humility, you know. Um, anyway, um, the girls said, you know, that group, their record is in the top 20. It's a, that's a program that used to be on uh, BBC uh, radio every sh Sunday afternoon. I think it was around about uh, 2 o'clock. And so I thought, I must tune in and hear this record. Anyway, we're number 18 in the charts. And I thought, gosh, they're, they're actually uh, in the top 20. I mean, to get a record in the top 20 in the 60s was, you know, it was quite something. Anyway, the next week it was up to 14. It was obviously rising. And I don't know if you know the story, but um, Brian Epstein with his three record shops apparently bought 20,000 copies of the record. And immediately the record went to the top. And, of course, it turned out to be an astute business deal because they sold like hot cakes out of his three shops, you know, because they were really, uh, you know, very... Um, Popular. And, of course, thereafter, every record they brought out just went straight to the top. And um, what is strange, I went uh, for years, and I, I still never realized that the Beatles was um, a play on the word beat. I mean, you think, I must have seen the, the name in, on the headlines, on the newspapers, and the mentioned. But when Liverpool was um, vying for the capital of culture, um, we had um, a tribute band, uh, the, the Counterfeit Beatles or something like that, I think they called themselves. And uh, we had to reproduce, you know, the, the super famous four with the light grey with the round neckline. It's, we call it a card-in neckline. They were made in London. We didn't do that. Yeah. And, um, we, but we had to reproduce those suits for their tour of Europe, promoting Liverpool as the capital of culture. And... Uh, when I was looking at this book with the pictures uh, of the Beatles, and, of course, the headline of the book was The Beatles, and uh, I looked at the spelling, I thought, that's not the way you spell beat. Beetle. And uh, I realized it was a play on the beat, so it was quite clever. They, they were uh, quite... Uh, I was quite impressed in the end because they, they were and are very talented individuals. You, you, you know, I mean, if you... Uh, have you have you read um, Mark Lewison's book? Yeah, that all these years, right? The the free parter. There's four pages devoted to me in the in the book. Um, I I got a, a record uh, a telephone call about it must be about four years ago, and um, this uh, fellow said I'm writing a book on the Beatles. And uh, I've had a job tracking anybody down because, you know, it, it is a long time ago and I'm 82. <laughs> and um, he, he said, I'd like to interview, just like you're asking me now. He said, would you mind if I come along and interview? I said, no, it's fine, come along. <laughs> and um, he um, apparently, um, 
he had been speaking to George Harrison's widow, and she has got one of the you know George's suit that um, I style for them and measure them for, and uh, of course he got the name of a firm and he tracked me down, and uh, so that was how uh, he came to interview me. Anyway, that was must be at least three or four years ago. Um, about two years ago, I got a call. Um, no, I got an email inviting me to the LIPA, you know, which is, um, the, you know, the Liverpool Institute of Performing Arms, founded by Paul McCartney, um, to say that this book was being launched on the Beatles. So I thought, well, if they invited me, I'd forgotten about the interview. Um, and then I thought about it, and I thought, well, I wonder if it's anything to do with that book. Anyway, I thought, well, I'll go. Because I was at the opening, I was the mayor of Wirral in 1995. And I was, as the mayor of Wirral, I was invited to the opening of uh, the Liverpool Institute of Performing Arts. They invited all the local civic dignitaries uh, to the event. Very big event, you know, the streets were crowded with people. And um, I... I uh, went there and anyway the the book was launched there so mark lewison is speaking about how he'd interviewed i mean he worked for a few years he'd been all over the world anybody that had met the beatles he'd interviewed them and uh i he was going through you know people and uh, he said that um one of the people i interviewed who made their first suit for television, um, Walter Smith, and he's in the audience here. Would you mind standing up, Walter? So this, the theatre is absolutely packed. I mean, you, t to be a guest there, you, I mean, um, so I stood up. I got a round of applause, you know, which quite surprised me. But they had, you know, the Beatles hairdresser that did the famous haircut. Uh, he was there. And pupils that went to school with them, um, oh, just about anybody that had anything to do with the Beatles. And he had interviewed everyone. I mean, the book is um, as big as my the span of my hand. I mean, it, it's a, a heavy tomb. I mean, I, I took it with me. Um, I was interviewed on the radio um, a couple of weeks ago. And I took the book with me just to show the interviewer. Um, but but it, it's, it's quite an academic work. I... I, I was showing it to somebody the other day, and I thought, I, I must read it. I, the trouble is, every time I go on holiday, when it's when I read books, it's such a heavy <laughs> piece of work. And you know your luggage when you're going on holiday. You've never got enough room, have you? So I've still never read the book thoroughly. And it, it, it's, it's quite interesting. I mean, um, things like, I, I mean, one of the fascinating things to me, having sort of, been there at the outset is the way um, Pete Best was written out of the picture. You know, uh, I, I mean, again, I don't know if you know the story, but um, Pete Best's mother, at their house, they had um, a basement, and the Beatles used to play there, and all the local kids used to go in, the Beatles used to play for them. And, um, of course, the, the story is that um, when they were getting uh, going, um, they said to uh, Brian Epstein, uh, you'll have to get rid of Pete Best. We want Ringo Starr. He's a better drummer. And, of course, he, he was uh, kicked out. 
Very sad, really. Anyway, <laughs> yeah, this was on the back of the tour they did in Hamburg. Is that right? That's right. Yeah, um, I think they weighed him up out in Hamburg and then drafted Ringo in halfway through, if I, if I remember rightly. Yeah, I'm, I'm not sure of that. I mean, it would be interesting. I mean, Mark will have uh, written it in. And, um, yes, so it's quite a, yeah, an interesting story. I mean, what has amazed me is, like, you know, people like yourself ringing me up. I mean, um, a couple of years ago, I'm measuring a gentleman here. And um, he said to me, you had something to do with the Beatles, didn't you? I said, yeah, how, how did you know that? He said, well, I'm uh, the city editor of the Liverpool Daily Post. And he said, I was going through the file, and um, I came across your name. And he said, well, um, it must have been more than, because uh, it was their 50th anniversary. So it's probably, <laughs> my memory is, I think it was only last year, it's probably five years ago. He um, he said, "I'll send a reporter and a photographer around." And uh, they came and interviewed me, like you are, and took a photograph. And of course, if you put Walter Smith and the Beatles, that article is um, on the internet. In fact, I'm just looking. I've got a pic- I've got a copy of it here. Just looking at it. No, it doesn't give a date. Yeah, there was a quite a quite a big um, article, and there's a photograph there of the uh, the Beatles with Pete Best in it. It says here, new image, a rare photograph of the Beatles sold at auction by Burn Burns auctioneers and valuers, showing them in Walter's suits. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> Walter, yeah. I'm curious to know what happened when Paul McCartney came back in the shop. So did he come in unannounced? Did he catch it by surprise? What happened there? Yeah, but... Was it a shock? Yeah, we, not, not really. I mean, we were the main people. This was in Birkenhead, you know. Um, I mean, I'm in Liverpool now. I, I, I moved to Liverpool in 1965, 60... Yeah, 1965, I, I went to Liverpool. And um, because we had three shops, uh, Birkenhead, which is where we started. Then we had Liverpool. We bought the old tailoring firm of Clement H. Sunderland. And then we opened in Chester. Now, strangely enough, Chester still exists. I, I, I didn't realize. I, I went to see my old colleague, uh, Fausto. He, he wasn't part of the firm in those days but um, he still trades with the name of Ben O'Dorn <laughs> Wow, yeah. amazing stuff yeah. So, uh, Walter, now you're up in uh, Old Hall Street Old Hall Street, yeah. yes Okay, um, and that's by Prince's dock, right? Is that is that close? Uh, well, uh, the, the best thing we know which most people know from all over the northwest, is we're very close to the Liverpool Echo building and the Passport Office um, and we're opposite the Cotton Building. I see. So, well, how many people like me call you up on a daily basis and want this story? And how much of a tourist spot now has your shop become? Well, well, uh, it's a project, and I get um, letters from America. You know, um, I got um, a letter from somebody asking me could could I send them some of our publicity material from America? He was in Ohio. So I wasn't quite sure what he wanted. It surprised me. So I actually rang him up 
and he, he was over the moon that I'd rung him. And um, I said, you just want um, anything, with, with, you know, any of our brochures with uh, pictures? Oh, yes, fine. And uh, so I, I did that, and I said to him, I must tell you, my uh, good friend, uh, Jerry Williams, um, he's an Anglo-American uh, historian, especially Liverpool's involvement with the American Civil War. And he, he actually goes to America and lectures uh, on it. And I said, and just to tell you how much of uh, he, he's into America, he has the Ohio marching band on his um, mobile phone. <laughs> so this fellow sent me um, a CD of the Ohio marching band, which I gave to Jerry. Oh. Yeah, incredible. Well, uh, listen, thanks for your yeah. time. Uh, you know, I'm, uh, I'm conscious you've got a life to live outside of this. So. <laughs> yeah, well, any time. Uh, as I say, it's... Uh, 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 I can't tell you how, I mean, never in my life did I expect that this would be a famous part of my working life, you know. And so early on as well, you were the, but, the very um, first tailor, right, before Dougie Millings took over, is that right? Yes, oh yes. Now, he made the rounded neckline, the, the cardian. And the, the, I thought from Mark Lewis on, he'd track me down because the suits... We've got a museum dedicated to the Beatles in Liverpool here. And I thought he'd tracked me down. He'd seen the suits in uh, the Beatles Museum. So I've got a, a, um, a leaflet here, um, which I, I can't even remember. What I'll tell you, I'm just going to look at it. It says, uh, the Beatles' first tailor. Uh, the suits I designed for them are now on display at Liverpool's Beatles Museum. And... Um, when they invited me down there for, for the interview, I said, well, these aren't the suits, and they're not even the original Beatles suits. They're replicas. Uh, what was your name? Uh, Gillings, was it? Uh, Dougie Millings. Yeah. Uh, they've got that. Uh, so what he must have done, he must have reproduced them for the um, Beatles Museum because there's a, a little card there to that effect. And um, so I rang Mark Lewis on up. I said, I thought uh, you tracked me down because you saw the suits in the Beatles Museum. And I'd never been in there. And uh, he said, no, no. Uh, how I found out was um, George Harrison's widow has still got the original suit. Olivia Harrison. Is that what her name is? Yeah, I didn't know that. It's a, a pity she doesn't uh, donate it to... Uh, the Beatles Museum. Yeah, that'd be awesome to yeah. see that. But, I mean, it must be great to know that your original suits are out there somewhere. Well, well, uh, that people still own these suits. Well, they, they don't know where the others are. The, the, no, nobody knows where they are, but, as I say, George Harrison's widow has uh, has the original. So I suppose that must be quite a collector's piece, really. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, when you think... Uh, 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 I mean, to me, I can still... Remember that scene and that the um, the occasion very well indeed. And yet, uh, I think, gosh, it was 1962. You know? Well, you'll have to release your own book. <laughs> <laughs> what was yeah. uh, what was the um, actual book that you were featured in? Because oh, Mark, yeah, Mark wrote a few, didn't he? Uh, I think it's called Beatles, and it's it's anyway. If you if you Google Mark Lewis on, it's it's Lewis L E W I S. O-H-N, 
like so I think it's the German song, you know. I, I speak a little German, so it's just a German word song. Okay. Yeah, so Mark Lewis song. And um, he, he's, because um, when I got the book, I opened the book because I wanted to speak to Mark. I said, well, I thought you ta- told me the suits were in the Beatles Museum. And um, I managed to find his email address. I emailed him and he rang me and he said, no, no, um, I saw the suit with uh, George Harrison's widow. And uh, that's how I, I tracked you down. It, 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 a piece of smart work. I mean, uh, as I say, if you were at that um, evening and ha- the pe- how he had interviewed so many people going back over that period of uh, the Beatles' fame and um, that brought them all together for the launch of the book. Well, yeah, that, that must have been quite a night. Yes, it was. It was a big occasion. Oh, I, I must tell you, <clears throat> when I arrived at Lippa, um, they had the books stacked up, and um, they were £30 a copy. I think that's the selling price, £30 a copy. And, but it says, for all the guests tonight, they're £25. So I thought, I wonder if this is the book I'm in, because I, I had no idea, you know, how I got the invitation. I, you know, I get all sorts of invitations, because we're quite well-known. We tailor for most eminent people on Merseyside. And um, so I picked the book up, and I, I go to the bibliography at the back to see is my name there. And lo and behold, I find that Walter Smith with page five, seven, six or something, and 600 and odd. <laughs> so I scan the pages, and I think, gosh, yeah, I'm actually in the book. A <laughs> famous lass. And um, anyway, <clears throat> I'd driven from... I, I live in Wirral. I couldn't believe I'd driven without scarcely any money in my pocket. I had a credit card with me. And um, so I dashed back to work here and got £25 out of the petty cash, and I bought myself a copy. And as I say, I've still got a... I've had it all those years, and I've still never read it. You know, one of these days I'm going to settle down and just read about it, because it really is interesting. Uh, I mean, the whole story. I mean, how they came from four ordinary lads to be international stars and, uh, you know, their place is probably firmly fixed in history. (laughs) Walter Smith there from Craft Tailoring. Thank you, Walter, for all of those wonderful memories and for sharing those with us. And now, a word from our sponsor. Here he is, Forrest Gump, right here. Gump, have a seat. Um, Forrest Gump? John Lennon. Welcome home. Had quite a trip. Can you uh, tell us um, what was China like? In the land of China, people hardly got nothing at all. No possessions? And in China, they never go to church. No religion, too? Oh. Hard to imagine. Well, it's easy if you try, Dick. Some years later, that nice young man from England was on his way home to see his little boy and was signing some autographs for no particular reason at all. Somebody shot him. Forrest Gump there. And now, as promised, that interview with Paul DeNoyer, author and biographer of My Conversations with Paul McCartney. 
I'd like to welcome to the podcast Paul DeNoyer, author of Conversations with Paul McCartney. Paul, could you just tell us a little bit about yourself, please, and how you got involved with the Beatles? Yeah, well, I started my career on the uh, NME uh, many years ago, and because uh, I was in the um, NME office and I was the bloke from Liverpool, whenever there was anything kind of uh, Beatley um, to be written, they'd usually get me to do it, you know, and then one day they actually sent me up back up to Liverpool to uh, to meet McCartney um, backstage at a gig he was doing in Liverpool. So that was the first time I met him and um, interviewed him a few more times after that and um, got on well with him, actually. And then he started getting me to do work for him and doing his tour programmes and helping with his press kits and all that kind of thing. So I got to know him very well and uh, interviewed him about 30 times or so over the years, which I eventually with his uh, help compiled into uh, into a book called Conversations with McCartney, which uh, is the one that's out now, you know. Yes, it, yeah, it's a fascinating book, and we'll leave a link to that in the show notes. Paul, can you just tell us a little bit of the reasoning uh, behind why Brian Epstein took the Beatles away from this Teddy Boy Levers look they had going on in the Hamburg days to when they came back to Liverpool and were going to be presented to the studio, so they had to get suited and modernised. Can you just give us a little bit of background to that, please? Yeah, well, was, um, up until and during the time in Hamburg, the uh, the black leathers had really come to dominate their look. Um, they'd kind of moved away from being... Uh, Teddy boys on a budget in the Liverpool suburbs, and then as soon as they could get some black leathers, they thought uh, this made them look cool and like uh, look like uh, the great rocker hero Gene Vincent. So they'd wear those in Hamburg, but at a certain point, of course, Brian Epstein came into their life. Uh, Brian Epstein was the uh, the local record shop manager, but he was a he was a dapper young fellow himself. Brian Epstein. He was in his uh, mid to late twenties when he met the Beatles. And one of his first bits of advice was, uh, come on, you've got to smarten yourselves up, boys. You know, we're a, uh, you're a professional um, entertainment combo and we want to get on TV and things. And um, Walter Smith might have mentioned to you, uh, Brian Epstein used to go to uh, Walter Smith's um, tail, uh, the tailors that Walter worked for, Ben and Dorm. Uh, Brian was in there all the while because he liked to get uh, bespoke clothes made for himself. So... Uh, he used that tale to get the Beatles' first suits for a forthcoming Granada TV appearance. And from that point on, the Beatles wore suits pretty much uh, all the while. Uh, Walter made the first um, suits for them. Then they moved down to London and they hooked up with um, a guy called Dougie Millings in um, Soho, who was a pretty well-known show business uh, tailor. Not quite Savile Row, but Soho, so a bit, bit, a bit racier, really. And... Um, Dougie made them suits, including most famously Pierre, Pierre Cardin over in Paris had just brought out these famous uh, collarless suits, you know, the light grey collarless suits. And Dougie just did a knockoff, basically. You know, he said, we'll have a bit of that and uh, made them uh, Pierre Cardin imitation suits. And um, that became, I suppose, the definitive look of the early Beatles, really, that look. Um, but they wore suits pretty much regularly for the first few years up until uh, up until the mid sixties, the one of the, amongst their last shows was at uh, Shea Stadium, where they're wearing again they're wearing identical things, but they're more like safari jackets, aren't they? Those uh, things. McCart what McCartney has said to me a few times is, early on in his life, he'd been to uh, I think Butlins <laughs> holiday camp as a kid, and they had um, entertainment on in Butlins, and he was always impressed by these groups who would all wear identical outfits. He just 
this looked very professional. This looked like you were really in show business, you know, so we thought uh, we've got to do this. So he and Brian were really on the same page, I guess. And um, uh, Brian suggested suits. The Beatles went along with suits. And McCartney says, once we went into a dressing room and we all got kitted out in exactly the same thing, it transformed us. You know, we became, we became this uh, four-headed monster. I think he just thought uh, if, a group is a, if a group really is a group, then this increases the telepathy, I suppose. The, they bond uh, as, a, as a band, as a musical unit, when they're all wearing the same thing. And that was the Beatles' policy up until, I guess, until the end of their um, live days. And even then, after that, the next thing they did was Sergeant Pepper, when they've got um, similar, uh, a similar uniform look going on. And um, I just, I think, uh, obviously, obviously the music is the thing with the Beatles, but they were actually very thoughtful dresses. Um, Epstein was a big influence on the way that they dressed because, again, McCartney says Brian wasn't just our manager. He was Epstein was a, a frustrated um, theatrical impresario, and I think Epstein's view of the Beatles was that they were a kind of little theatrical production for Brian to dress up and. Um, uh, and he always encouraged them to pay a lot of attention to that, which uh, in particular was uh, extremely receptive to. Uh, yeah, I actually had that written down, so we may as well tap onto that now. Did um, So the Beatles always looked like they could reinvent themselves at will, you know, stylistically as well as musically. What was the thinking behind the Sgt. Pepper's outfits and how much of an influence did Brian Epstein have in in that process? I think by the time, I think by the time that Sgt. Pepper was approached, Brian was taking more of a back seat. Um, you know, part of his personal unhappiness, I think, was that he didn't really have this uh, toy band to play with and dress up anymore because they were they were growing up and they were getting more um, into um, expressing their own ideas. And one of their ideas, and I think Paul's in particular, was wouldn't it be cool if we had a kind of fictitious alter ego for ourselves, you know, Sergeant Pepper's band, who were able to do things that broke away from the stereotypical Beatles image that we've had for a few years. So um, no longer is it, uh, you know, John is this person, Paul is the cute one, uh, George is the quiet one, Ringo is the funny one. Let's just invent a whole new persona for ourselves, call it Sergeant Pepper. And Paul, as well as the artist uh, Peter Blake, who was working with them on the visuals, and his wife Jan, they were very interested in the idea of an old Edwardian band. And it was mid-60s, mid and of course that Edwardian look was just becoming um, very fashionable, you know, along the King's Road and Carnaby Street. And they uh, latched onto it very early on and popularised it. So they dressed up in, as kind of psychedelic uh, Edwardian band men, you know. That was the Sergeant Pepper conceit, really, which, of course, looked, uh, looked brilliant. But that was probably the last time they had a put-together band uh, look i guess because after that they they just kind of went there for separate ways um in several respects but including including in costumes but the interesting cover in a way is um is abbey road because uh, which was a few years after brian had um, died actually but it's often said um, and john would often say this so Brian made us wear suits. You know, we didn't want to wear suits, but Brian made us wear suits. I'm not so sure about that actually, because you look at you look at Abbey Road three or four years after Brian, and and three of the four of them are, are wearing suits. They they moved on to another tailor um, in Savile Row called Tommy Nutter, whose uh, assistant was um, a guy who's still going on called Edward Sexton, and uh, Nutter and Sexton 
um, had a very strong line in very bold um, suits, uh, silhouettes, often um, double-breasted. Edward Sexton is still very uh, widely known for these extremely strong um, double-breasted suits that he makes, uh, which look great. McCartney, I think, stuck with um, Tommy Nutter and Edward Sexton, uh, as did um, John and Ringo. Um, so he was a big uh, influence uh, uh, both both uh, Nutter and Sexton, uh, but the Beatles loved their suits actually, and they they wore them. Um, even John wore suits uh, in uh, for his public appearance, often in court actually in America. <laughs> it's like the old uh, you know, what you call the scouser in a suit kind of joke. But um, John, even John, uh, did love his suits. His famous white suits became emblematic of his peace campaigning days, and uh, to this day, McCartney will uh, put on a suit. Um, uh, uh, an awful lot of it's time. Yeah, that's another thing I wanted to talk about, so we may as well move on to that now. What is Paul McCartney's attitude towards fashion these days, and how much, if at all, does he take it seriously when he goes out on stage? Yeah, McCartney does uh, spend a lot of time um, thinking about what he's going to wear. You know, he's, um, he's, 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 he's show business of the old school in a way. He, he does think about the, uh, the total show, which includes what he's going to wear. And... Um, he dresses. He dresses very um, thoughtfully. I guess he's. I guess he's always been slightly on the conservative side. He was never a complete out-and-out -out hippie in the way that, uh, say, George became for a little while. Um, even at the at the height of the hippie era, Paul would still wear a suit. You know, think about the uh, the famous um, Get Back uh, sequence, which we see in the Let It Be film. You know, when they're all on the rooftop there at Savile Row and. Um, this is 1969 when everyone else is wearing uh, denims, double denims, cheesecloth, uh, shoulder length. Uh, and McCartney's still got this um, very sharp, um, dark um, suit. Um, and so he was he was pretty sharp then. And that's remained his kind of default look, um, you know, for, for big occasions and very often on stage as well. He, he goes for that, uh, usually the suit with no tie sort of thing. Um, but he, he does think a lot about clothes, and often I found when I was getting his memories of experiences with uh, the Beatles, uh, it, it, his reference points were often visual. You know, he'll remember what he was wearing that on that occasion. So um, the, 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 the clothes have always been important to him, and they remain so, I think. Yeah, fascinating. Paul, I'm just curious, how much do you think these original outfits go for these days? Well, you know, the memorabilia of the, the Beatles um, is very much sought after, but the original suits and the costumes and all that stuff that were worn by the Beatles in the day, they must be astronomical, right? It must be. I know that McCartney has got um, a personal archive, which includes a lot of his old stage um, outfits and, and his Sgt. Pepper costume. Uh, I was doing a tour program once with him. We were talking about clothes a lot, and my uh, uh, my colleague, my designer, uh, she went down to the archive and uh, got herself uh, photographed wearing the Sergeant Pepper suit. And wow. I remember being sick. I remember being sick with jealousy. I thought, why didn't I do that? You know, but uh, I was probably I was probably somewhere else interviewing Paul at the time. So, um, but I would have. <laughs> nice, yeah. Uh, uh, Yoko Yoko has got um, uh, an archive at the. Um, uh, Dakota building where she keeps um, a lot of John's old costumes as well. Don't know what arrangements Ringo has got. I'm sure Olivia uh, looks after George's things very carefully as well. Yeah, amazing. So, Paul, what's coming up next for you? What are you working on at the moment? 
Well, I'm not uh, I'm not doing any writing at the moment. I've the McCartney book has been going into various overseas editions, uh, different languages, and so on around the world. And uh, so I have to get quite closely involved in each new edition of that, and that's been keeping me busy for the last uh, two years or so. I guess uh, maybe maybe by the end of uh, this year, uh, the McCartney business will be more or less uh, finished with uh, for me. So I'll just sit back and uh, think about the next book, I guess. Excellent. And what about Sir Paul McCartney? What's he up to at the moment? Uh, there's always always more gigs, always more recording. Um, he, uh, you know, he's still very much. He was always the workaholic in the Beatles. He was the one that. Uh, was always pestering everybody to get uh, get on to the next thing. You know, let's um, we can't just sit around uh, spending our money for the rest of our lives. We're a band. You know, let's get out and do something. He kind of chivied them all into even that Apple rooftop thing. That was Paul kind of um, um, pestering everybody to to do something. You know, even if they wouldn't go on tour again, which secretly he really wanted to do. Um, but uh, he was always the motivator, the motivator of the group, I think. And he's like that now in his in his solo career. He 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 can't really uh, he can't relax. There's something uh, driving him on. Paul Denoyer there. Thank you, Paul, and thank you to Walter Smith for jumping on the podcast this week. I hope you enjoyed it. If you did enjoy it, do tell a friend, do share it, do leave a review. It really will help. To quote a famous Beatles song, and keep me in a job. <laughs>